If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12, I really feel that I have a word from the Lord for you. Sometimes there's certain things that God keeps bringing back to our minds, and the whole time I was away, I felt like God kept bringing this message back to my heart and to my mind. I believe it's a word of instruction that will lead to fulfillment. I felt like this message is directed towards us. There's a lot of messages that we share that we can spread out and we can relate it to this and you can relate it to that. But I believe this is specifically for Lighthouse. And it's directed, first of all, primarily to within the walls of this church. If we can do it within the walls of this church, the walls of this church won't be able to contain it. But if we can't do it here, I doubt that you can do it somewhere else. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the safe place for us to do this. This is the environment for us to do this. It's good for us to do this here. If we can do it here, it'll spread. If you can't do it here, the challenge is, it's going to be really challenging to do it out there. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this. And we're only going to have one scripture for this portion. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, the New Testament is filled with these one another scriptures. Okay? Everybody say one another. Okay? This is something that's mutual. It's, I have a responsibility to you. And you have a responsibility to me. And I have a responsibility to Lori. And you have a responsibility to her. And she has one to you. Okay? So the Bible is filled with these one another verses. I want to just hit on a few of them. These have to do with relationships and how our relationships should be. God provides them to show us how it should look like. The Bible says that we're to be at peace with one another. It says that we are to live in harmony with one another. It says that we're to stop passing judgment upon one another. It says that we're to accept one another. That we are to wait for one another. That we are to serve one another. That we're to be patient with one another. That we're to be kind to one another. That we're to be compassionate one to another. That we are to submit one to another. That we're to forgive each other. That we're to carry each other's burdens. That we're to encourage one another. That we're to build up, spur on one another. That we're to confess our sins. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. I think he's talking about you. No, he's talking about me too. We're to confess our sins one to another. We're to pray for. We're to use our gifts to serve one another. We're to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. And we're to love one another. That's just a portion of them. The Bible says that there's some things that we're not supposed to do to one another. We're not supposed to bite and devour one another. We're not supposed to become conceited towards one another. We're not to provoke or envy or be jealous of one another. We're not supposed to lie to one another, to slander one another. We're not to grumble against one another. In 
so as we begin, there's all of these one another scriptures. But let's begin today, as we look at our scripture, by talking about honor. The Bible says in the second portion of the verse there, it says, honor one another above yourselves. I have two points for you today. The first one is this, that honor is the evidence of love. Somebody said, well, that's pretty good. Let me think about it a little bit. You may want to think about it a little bit. But honor is the evidence of love. I can say I love you, but honor is the evidence. It's the proof of love. When we honor others, we acknowledge their value and their worth. When you honor someone, you're assigning to them value and worth. Isn't that a great atmosphere to be in? When someone sees you as valuable and as worthwhile, another version of the Bible, the message, says it this way. The message Bible says this. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Notice what it says. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second Fiddle. It says, practice playing second fiddle. What does it mean when they say practice playing second fiddle? Somebody, what do you think it means? What's that? Put other people ahead of you. What else? That's very good. You don't have to be the center of attention. Put someone else up ahead of you. Acknowledge somebody else. Another version says, outdo one another in showing honor. As believers, what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. A lot of times, can we be honest? If we can be honest, a lot of times because of our insecurities, and all of us have insecurities, some of us mask them a little better than others. However, everybody wants to feel like they're valuable and important. They want to feel that. They want to feel like they have worth, and what they're doing is important. That what they're contributing has some intrinsic value. Because of our insecurities sometimes, there's a jockeying for position. Have you ever seen these bodybuilders on TV? But you'll notice that those guys, if you've watched them, what they do is they all try to get under the lights. Did you notice that? They kind of push in front of one another, and they try to do their pose in front of one another. They want to make sure that they have the light on them, and they kind of step in front of the other guy and do their thing. The Bible says that that is the way that the world does things. That's not the way of the kingdom, okay? Because the kingdom of God is upside down concerning the things of this world. And so what we have here is oftentimes we have people who are vying for a position, They're wanting to be noticed. They're wanting to get up on somebody else. And that can be a really negative environment to be in. Okay? That's probably not the best environment for your home to be. Have you ever been in a place where people are always, and a lot of times at workplaces are like this, people are always trying to get one up on the other people. They'll say it's a joke, but they really mean it. You know what I mean? where it's constant insults, it's constant put-downs, it's constant undermining or belittling of others in subtle ways. And, you know, I've thought about that, and as I was preparing this, the Holy Spirit convicted me of some things that I say sometimes. 
He convicted me of sometimes the way that I act. God, I don't want my home to be a place that's belittling. I don't want my family to be a place where you say subtle things, or I don't want my friendships or relationships to be something where you're undermining others. Have you ever been in a place where that's going on, and after a while, you just don't want to be there? It's like, why don't, why don't you shut up? For a while, it's kind of cute, and it's kind of funny, and like I say, a lot of times in the workplace, you'll have that. It's kind of cute and funny, and people laugh, but after a while, it, it tears down morale. And in the family, it tears down morale. In the church, it tears down morale. Or maybe you've been in a place where you, people can't celebrate their victories or their accomplishments. You can't celebrate your victories because if you do, somebody else will be jealous. Or somebody else will be mad because you accomplished something or you achieved something or you got something. And so for some reason, you can't even celebrate victories. What a stifling atmosphere. The Bible encourages you. I want to talk about you. The Bible encourages you and me to take the lead in showing honor. It says if you want to outdo somebody, you outdo them in showing honor. Do you realize this? That you can change the environment by your actions. Many people respond to the atmosphere rather than impacting the atmosphere. You do realize that you were created and empowered by God to be a person of impact. And I believe that this is a word from the Lord for somebody today. A lot of times we'll go into environments and we'll be like, oh, I don't really like this environment. This is a negative environment. This is not a good environment. Or you get brought down by the environment. Listen to me. You were created and designed by God to be a person of impact in which you go into environments and environments change because you are there. Why is that, Pastor? Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. So here's the reality. And here's the thing. This is transferable. You can go and transform atmospheres, locations, by your presence, by you being there, an atmosphere can change. And it's transferable. As I said, why? Because greater is he who is in me and who is in you than he that is in the world. You can go and do that in multiple locations when you understand who you are and when you persist in showing honor. So when you come into an environment, you may go into a workplace and it's a negative environment or in your household or in different places that you go and the environment's negative. Well, instead of you having to be brought down by that, you have the power to transform that because the Spirit of God lives in you. It's not just the church where that can take place. It can take place in your family. It can take place in your work environment. As I said, if you will persist in showing honor, the funny thing about love is, the more you give it away, the more of it you have, and the more it multiplies, and the more it energizes. Did you ever notice that about love? When you start giving love away, you're not depleted. You're filled up. You're energized. Did you ever notice this about anger and bitterness? The more you hold on to it, the more it takes away from you, the more it demoralizes you the more it saps your strength. So when you come into an environment and you show honor, what you will find is you won't be lacking. It will begin to grow in the atmosphere where you're at. And it will impact the lives of other people. 
scripture says that if you're going to try to outdo anybody in anything, what you're going to try to outdo them in is exalting and lifting up and showing the value and the worth and the importance of other people. You're going to practice playing second fiddle. The world doesn't have to revolve around you because you know who you are. Here's the other part of that. When I don't know who I am in Christ, I have to identify myself based upon other people, what they say about me, their opinion about me, how many people have recognized me or patted me on the back or acknowledged my diligence or my work or my skill or the things that I've accumulated. That's what identifies us as someone of worth or of value when I don't understand who I am. When I understand who I am in Jesus Christ, when I understand what he's imparted to me, when I understand who he has made me to be and who he's made you to be, there's this thing of, I don't have to impress anybody because we already know who we are, okay? I don't have to worry about somebody else being elevated because I've already been seated with him in heavenly places. Do you understand that? I don't have to worry if you get acknowledged or if you get promoted because he's already seated me with Christ in heavenly places. Do you understand that? So the next thing we have here is point number two, devotion, the cost of love. Devotion is the cost of love. If you want to put a price tag on love, what you're willing to pay for love, the price tag would be devotion, okay? Paul told the believers to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Devoted means loving and committed to one another. It means words such as, some other words that would go along with that would be loyal, dedicated, faithful, constant, staunch. As I said, devotion is the price. Your devotion is the price that you're willing to pay to love another person. While the world systems are self-centered, they are committed. The world system, their understanding of love is this. They're committed till it starts to cost them something. When I start to give more than what I'm getting, well, you're stupid if you stay around after that. People will think that you're foolish. It's time to bail. Yet that is not to be the attitude of Jesus' followers. This country, great organizations around the world, and the Church of Jesus Christ has been built not on self-centeredness, but upon self-sacrifice. Anything of value, anything of value that's been built has not been built on selfishness. Anything that lasts throughout time has not been built on selfishness and self-centeredness. It's been built upon self-sacrifice. To the young person, let me just talk to all the single ladies. When you're looking for someone to marry, Maybe you're not so young, but you're still looking for somebody to marry. Look for someone who is first devoted to God and second devoted to you. Bosses, when you're looking for someone to hire to work for you, look for the character trait of dedication and devotion. Now, the opposite of devotion is this, apathy, apathetic. If you look at devotion... And you look at the opposite of it, you're going to find apathetic, you're going to find dishonest, disloyal, faithless, false, indifferent, 
unfaithful, negligent, uncommitted, unreliable. So if you're not devoted, then you're these things. Here's the thing for the people who are single. If you're looking for a mate and you find someone who is devoted to you, for all the guys, do you think you're going to look the same way when you get married as you do 15, 20 years down the road? Some of you do. Most of us don't. Here's the thing. You think your jokes, you know, your wife may have liked you. She may have liked you. I hope she did. She may have liked you when you dated her and thought you were funny. But like after hearing the same stupid stuff all these years, after a while, it's not so funny anymore. Oh, I love his sense of humor. And there may be, th- ladies, there's things about, you know, there's things about you that when you met your husband, it all oh, that's so cute. Well, you know, to be honest with you, maybe 30 years later, it, it may not quite as be as cute. Oh, it's kind of annoying, but it's cute. It's not so cute 30 years later. But here's the question. You don't think along the way that there is going to come along someone who is better looking than you. Someone who pays attention to her, or someone who pays attention to him, who's better looking, who has a better job, who is funnier, who's more attentive. Well, here's the thing. If you marry someone who's not devoted, their attention's always going to be somewhere else. But you find someone who's devoted, it doesn't matter how handsome the guy is that works across the hall from her. It don't matter. Because she's not looking. She's devoted. She's committed. It don't matter who comes by. She's not in the market. Okay? So the challenge that we have here is that we find many people who feel like, I'll be devoted as long as something better is not there for me. And, you know, here's the challenge. Pastors do this, too. I'm not tearing down pastors, but you'll have pastors who will stand up and preach to their congregation, being devoted to the house of God, being devoted to the church, being devoted to this family that God is building and working on. And then a better opportunity comes for them down the road. Huh. Well, they got a nicer building. You can make more money. They'll pay you 15000 They'll pay you $20,000 more if you'll just come. And they're like, well, obviously that's God's will. Gotta go. huh. They ask you to be devoted. But as soon as a better opportunity comes along, they think that it's automatically God's will for them to roll. It's time for me to go. God's redirecting my steps. And that's really not devotion. Sometimes, many times, that's simply self-centeredness in the principles of this world. Okay? Yet we think, in the world that we live in today, we think you're a fool if you're committed to people and it costs you something. That's what we really think. Wait, you would give that up? That's what devotion is. Devotion says, I've made a commitment, I'm loyal, and you can count on me no matter what. That's what Jesus asked us as a body of believers, that we be devoted to one another, that we be committed to to one another. Wait a minute. I may not be getting so much out of this deal. Maybe at this moment in time, I could do better down the road, or maybe at this moment in time, as a friend, it kind of, when we first met, you were always happy. Now you're going through a difficult time, and now you're facing difficulties, and, and now you need my help a lot more, and so you're not quite as good of a 
I believe one of the greatest leaders that I know of in the scripture is this guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is called to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he's coming at a time in which the people are tired and they're weary. And not only do they have to rebuild the wall, they have to do so much work. There's rubble everywhere. It's been burnt. They got to clear out a bunch of junk. It's the, you know, any wood that was connected, it's burnt. It's a big pile of mess before they can even get to do the work that they need to do. Okay, it's, it's one thing if you just got to build a wall, but they got to clear all this stuff out and clean stuff up and remove stuff. They, they can't even get in to do the work to rebuild the wall. There's so much clutter in the way. On top of that, there's this guy named Sambala, and Sambala hates Nehemiah, and he hates those Jews who are trying to rebuild the wall. And he is constantly saying things to them to try to frustrate them, to try to discourage them. He's trying to stir up dissensions among them and other people and trying to sow discord in their lives and just trying to bring confusion. Okay? That sounds like what the enemy does, doesn't it? He's constantly trying to sow division and discord and confusion in our lives. And and Sambla has even come to the point where he's threatening their lives. Okay? At any moment where they can come in and attack. I want you to hear this strategic move that Nehemiah does in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. Nehemiah 4, 13, it says this. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by what? By families, with their swords, their spears, and bows. And I looked things over. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. The thing I want to point out to you is that Nehemiah placed them around this wall by their families because he understood this. He knew that these people are already tired and discouraged. He knew that they have an, an immense job to do. And in the midst of it, There's setbacks, there's discouragement, and the average person faced with that, they're tired already. The average person, it says, ah, I've had enough here. It's time for me to bail. But not if my brother's there. Not if my son's there. You might kill me, but I'm not going anywhere. That's the kind of devotion that God is asking for within the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what comes against us. I'm not going to go anywhere. You can count on me. It doesn't matter who opposes us. It doesn't matter how big they are, how powerful they are. See, this is the reality that Satan knows. Satan knows this if he can divide the church if he can cause division in leadership, that's why he tries to separate the husband and the wife, cause division in there. Because he says this, here's the reality. As a husband and wife, as leaders of a church, if you are united together, no weapon forged against you shall prosper. The enemy cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat the church of Jesus Christ when the church is in unity, when people are arms are linked. Again and again, God 
comes to victory. But if he can sow some discord, some division, some competition, some jealousy, a little bit of resentment and anger in there, then he has a foothold. He has a rightful place. And he comes in and he wreaks havoc. But here's what happens. Nehemiah, because he understood, these guys are tired, they're weary. They feel like giving up. But if I put his son, his brother, and his daughter, and his wife there, they ain't going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. Again and again, the enemy will never be able to defeat the church of Jesus Christ from a straight-on onslaught attack. He cannot do it. Where he defeats it is from within. When we give up, when we turn on each other, I promise you, if you stay united, I've told our board numerous times, you know what? All we have to do, it doesn't matter what trial comes, and I've talked to other churches, it doesn't matter what trial comes your way, other leaders. If you stay united, now, you know, if you make a mistake, you confess that. If you fail, you say that. If you made a wrong decision, you say that. But if you stay united, it doesn't matter what the enemy brings your way. Jesus has already won the victory. You're going to be fine. You're going to sail right through that. But whenever we turn on each other and get jealous of each other and resentful towards each other and angry towards each other, what he does in your home, he likes to do that. And he comes in and steals away the kids. That's what he does. He likes to come in. But here's the reality. Nehemiah recognized that. And he steals away the weak. And he takes advantage of those who are weak in faith. Now, as I shared this, it doesn't matter what you face or what you're going through. You see, because this is about character. I want you to hear me. This is about character. We're talking to you about character, not, well, I feel like, no. This is about character. Do you know what liars do? They lie. They lie. Do you know what cowards do? They run. Do you know what people of faith do? They believe. And people say, well, they're in an easier position. No. People of character do what their character does. So if you're a quitter, you're going to quit. It don't matter. It's eventual. You are going to quit. If you're a liar, eventually you're going to lie. I can put you in the best situation, and I promise you, eventually you're going to lie if you're a liar. Because that's just what your nature is. But our nature has been transformed. We've had the nature of Christ put in us. And so we are called to be devoted. Devoted people stick it out. Devoted people are committed. Devoted people don't give up. Devoted people, you know, we talked about what the opposite of devotion is apathy, pathetic, another word very close to it. If you are not devoted, the reality of it is, is you become pathetic, okay? And so God has called us to be people of devotion. And it doesn't matter, here's the thing, the one other thing is this idea of, well, someone's hurt me. Pastor, I, I was devoted until somebody disappointed me. Here's the reality. When someone hurts us. Someone disappoints us. Someone fails us, even if they didn't do it on purpose. A lot of times, we get a license to carry. A lot of times, we keep it concealed. We have a concealed carry permit. You hurt me. You let me down. You disappointed me. Remember I said, when we hold on to those things, they take life from us. And so someone's hurt me, someone's disappointed me, something negative's happened. And so I can now get a license. I have a right to feel this way, and I have a right to carry it. I can put it away, and maybe you don't see it. I may keep it behind my back, underneath my coat, but I'm licensed to carry. I can carry it with me wherever I go. 
of the time, but in the right situation, I'll pull that out. So what people do is, throughout their life, they carry these offenses. And that license to carry says this, you hurt me, I don't have to let you in. You hurt me, you disappointed me, so now, because you did that, I have a right to do all of these ungodly things because I was hurt. I don't have to do what the Word says because I got a license, I've been hurt. I don't have to do what the Word says. I don't have to treat you right. I don't have to do certain things. I don't have to forgive because you hurt me. I don't have to be loyal to you because people weren't loyal to me. But you know what? Whether people are loyal to me or not, if your character, if you've allowed Christ to build his character in you, whether people are loyal to you, you're going to continue to be loyal because that's who we are. We do what we do because it's what we believe and it's who we are as the riches. I don't care. I don't care what other people think or say. This is who we are. And we make our decisions because of who we are. We don't do it because I'm the pastor. It's what we believe and it's who we are. It's because of who we are in Jesus Christ that we become devoted and loyal. How does that happen? How do I move from a place of apathy, of not caring, to move to a place where I can be devoted and I can be committed and I can give my life away to somebody else and to care for somebody else and to love somebody else and to serve somebody else and to do all of those one another things that are opposite to our old nature? How can I do that? That's exactly right. We do it through Jesus. How do we do it through Jesus? Because his life living in me transforms me. Do you understand that? I don't do it because I grit my teeth or I try harder. We do that because when you hang out with him, when you spend time with him, he changes you on the inside. And so someone who was a coward and who was fearful and who would run stands up and fights. Someone who would give up and would quit Someone who would back down doesn't do it anymore. Why? Would they would run a little bit and then they'd get tired and they'd give up? No. No, because the life of Jesus is living in you and through you. And all I'm asking you to do today is this. I'm asking you to let the life of Jesus flow out of you. That's all. I'm just asking you, in the context of the local body, let the life of Jesus flow through you. Let him just flow through you. So I find that someone hurt me. Remember the part Adam tells I love him. We forgive him. I find that someone disappoints me. I don't stop. Someone hurt us or we're, we're weary or we're tired. Or someone has a need, what do I do? What does Jesus do? He reached out and touched him. Someone does something ugly and other people turn away. When we're devoted, that's Jesus. When Jesus lives in us and someone fails, we're there. When Jesus lives in us and someone's hurting, we're there. When Jesus lives in us and someone's dying, weary, and tired, we're there to encourage them and stand with them and hold them up. But we don't do this. This is not me doing it. It's simply allowing. It's not you doing it. It's just simply allowing the Jesus, the Jesus who lives in you, Remember, he's greater than he that's in the world. The Jesus who's in you is greater than the negative experiences at work. 
The Jesus who's in you is greater than the dysfunction in the family. The Jesus who's in you transforms people's lives and offers hope. And if we can do it in here, if we can do it in here, it'll spread out. I mean, it'll touch people's lives, and they will be drawn not to you and not to me, and they won't see a big name, but they'll see him. And that's what we want. Just let him see Jesus, Lord. Let the world see Jesus through our willingness to pay whatever price, that price of devotion. Let the world see him. That's our prayer. So, Father, today I pray that this congregation, that we'd be people of devotion, that we would yield ourselves to you and submit ourselves to you and do the will of the Father, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.